Well, I know that it's rainy and cloudy and all that. Thundery outside, but it is great to be in here worshiping the Lord together. It's great that nothing can keep us from, from worshiping our God and drawing near to Him. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. But I want to tell you that if I start twitching up here, don't be alarmed. Uh, Brittany and Jeremy are moving into a new house and they had it all painted and all the fixtures, the, the switches and the light sockets were, were that cream color. And of course that just wouldn't go with the new paint. So Brittany wanted them all changed out to white. So I spent the last two days changing out uh, plugs and light switches and yeah, you know, Jimmy, don't listen because I think you have their house insurance. So, you know, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> but just so you know, I've only electrocuted myself four times in the process. And I'm only about halfway done. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what goes on. But we have been for several weeks. I don't know if you're keeping notes, but this is actually the 16th lesson on the book of Hebrews. And we have understood and looked at it and uh, realized that the theme of the book of Hebrews, as we've been using it, is uh, the idea of encouraging one another. And our theme verse is coming out of chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence that we had at first. And we can see from these verses several of the things that we've, that we've already talked about. We've talked about confidence. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. We've talked about encouraging one another. We've talked about the fact that our hope is in Jesus Christ. Thirteen times, at least, in the book of Hebrews, the writer uses the word, depending on your translation, better, greater, or superior. In talking about Jesus Christ and in talking about the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant, we looked about, we looked at a lot of that last week when we looked at chapter seven through nine and the first part of chapter 10. And what the writer is trying to tell these Jewish believers is we have it, you have it so much better now because of Jesus Christ than you had it Under the old law, why would you be tempted to go back to the inferior when you have the superior? Why would you be tempted to go back to the inadequate when you have the overly adequate, the much superior? And so he's been looking at that, about that. And now also in the book of Hebrews, at least 13 times, we find, let us passages. Let us statements. We saw one of those. uh, Okay, that one doesn't actually say let us, but there's 13 of them. And we're going to see that we have five of these in chapter 10, beginning in verse 19 and going through verse 25. Go ahead, Joe. If you have Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. And we're going to read that. We're going to see You're smart people. If you can pick out the five let us statements, it won't be hard. I've got them underlined in my Bible, so it won't be hard. He says in verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have come to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So did you get them all? He said, let us draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. Let us not give up meeting together. And let us encourage one another. Now for the next several weeks, we're going to be in these in this section. And we're going to be looking at these let us statements individually. Because I think that they are important to us. We see that the first one says, let us draw near to God. And that seems like a simple statement, doesn't it? And it seems like a very casual statement. And for us, it may be. We understand the idea, let us draw near to God. Let us come close to God. Ronald led a song this morning. I don't know, it's actually in my notes. I don't know if he he didn't see my notes, but nearer is still nearer. We talk about that. Drawing near to God. And for us, that seems like like just a, a, a casual thing to do. But remember that that was not always so. That in the Jewish mind, drawing near to God was almost unfathomable. It was almost inexplicable. The idea that you would actually be able to draw near to God. In Genesis chapter 3, well, verses 1 and 2 and then the beginning of 3, we see that man had this very unique relationship with God. And that in the garden, God and man would seem to just visit with one another and be close to each other, talk to one another. And then sin entered the world. And immediately, there was a separation between man and God. Immediately, because of sin, man tried to hide from God. Immediately, because of sin, God expelled man from the garden. And there would no longer be that relationship. Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 and 2 tells us that our sins separate us from God. Now we, we, we as Christians, we, we don't, I think, truly grasp and understand the separation that there was between man and God. And we go into the Old Testament And we can see that there was a a distance. There was a separation between God. You remember Moses at the burning bush. And as Moses is getting close to this bush that's burning, but it's not burning up. And all of a sudden, a voice speaks from the bush and says, Moses, take off your shoes. Because where you are is holy ground. You see, the people were not used to 
drawing near to God. The people were not used to having a relationship like that with God. This was unique. And God said, Moses, take off your shoes. And you remember that after Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and they come to Mount Sinai, and Moses is going to go up on the mountain and receive the law from God. You remember that God gave very strict instructions to Moses and Aaron and Joshua. And he said, do not let the people come anywhere near the mountain. This is the mountain of God. Moses is going to go up and I am going to come down and my very presence is going to be on that mountain. Do not let any man come near the mountain. Do not let any beast come near the mountain because if they touch the mountain, they will die. Whoa. That doesn't sound like the God we know that says, come unto me, all ye who labor And are weary laden. It does not sound like the God that says. I will draw all men unto me. It's the same God. But it's a different circumstance. You see because of sin. Man and God were separated. And man only in unique situations. Were able to approach the presence of God. And so Moses is up there on the mountain. And and there's lightning and thunder. And all that stuff going on. And the people are down below. And they're wondering what is happening up there. And I'm sure some of them were tempted. Well I'm just going to go up there and see. Uh, They knew better. They knew better. And you remember that after Moses had been face to face with God, his appearance changed forever. His hair became white as snow. Some of you apparently have seen God. But he was different. It was almost as if there was a glow about him. If you read it, it kind of talks about that. It was different because he had been in the very presence of God. We talked about the, one, of the, one of the stories in the Bible that makes me go, hmm, is the story of Uzzah. And if you remember the story of Uzzah, that the Ark of the Covenant is being taken to Jerusalem. And it's on the back of a cart being hauled by some oxen. And as they're going along, the road gets bumpy or whatever the case may be. And the ark begins to fall off the back of the cart. And Uzzah reaches up to push the ark back on the cart, struck dead by God. And we look at that and we think, wow, that seemed a little harsh to me. It seemed to be, you know, that God just, you know, kind of went off half-baked, whatever, and just, you know, whoo. But there's a couple things to remember about that. First of all, remember that God had given very specific instructions about the handling and the transportation of the ark. The ark was never to be carried on a cart. The ark was to be carried with these long poles that went through the little hoops that were on the side of it. And only certain priests of this priestly clan were able to carry the ark. Why all the specific instructions? Now, if you're here last week, 
this will be a little review, but part of it has to do with the fact that the ark itself represented the very presence of God. It was above the, the, the lid of the ark where those, where those angels or cherub and their wings touched. It was called the mercy seat. And it was there on the mercy seat that was considered to be the actual dwelling place, presence of God. And so very special instructions were given about the transportation and the handling of the ark because not everybody could approach the very presence of God. And Uzzah inadvertently or whatever, but with some presumptuousness, I don't know if that's a word, but it sounded good when it was coming out of my mouth, decided that he would approach the presence of God and put his hands on the ark. And God struck him dead. And the temple, and we talked about this last week, the very nature of the temple And I used to think the very nature of the temple was to, was to draw the people into the presence of God. But as I've been studying through Hebrews this time, I've come to a totally different conclusion. I believe that the whole idea of the temple was to magnify and demonstrate the separation of God and the people. You see, because at the temple and in the tabernacle, especially in the temple, you had this great outer courtyard. And it was the courtyard of the Gentiles. And that meant that anybody could go in that courtyard. Whether you were Jew, whether you were Gentile, anybody, anybody just going in there and they could go in there and they could visit and, you know, whatever. And maybe they had the marketplace in there or whatever. And then there was another little separation. In which you had what was called the court of the women. Meaning that Jewish women could go into that court. No Gentiles. No Gentiles, not man or woman. No Gentiles could go in there. Only the Gentiles could stay out in that outer courtyard. But Jewish women could go into the courtyard of the women. And then there was another separation. Another barrier. To the actual courtyard itself that had the the bronze laver and the bronze uh, altars and all those kinds of things. Only the men could go into that courtyard. Jewish men could go into that courtyard. And then you had the temple proper. And in the temple proper you had that division between the holy place and the most holy place. And in the holy place, only the priests could go. And only those priests whose clan or tribe were serving at that particular period of time, only those priests could go into the holy place. And then you had the most holy place, the holy of holies. That was where the Ark of the Covenant resided. And only the high priest could go in there. And only the high priest once a year could go in there. You see what I'm saying? I think that God created that 
So that man would understand that because of sin, there was a separation between man and God. That because of sin, no ordinary human being could just approach the presence of God. Now, we talked about this last week. Sure, God is always everywhere. And even in the Old Testament, they prayed. And in the Old Testament, God intervened. But there was something special and unique about the Holy of Holies and that mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And the Day of Atonement, when one time a year, the only the high priest could go in and be in the very presence of God. Which you see magnifies the statement that the writer of Hebrews says. When he says, because of the blood of Jesus, we with confidence and boldness can enter the most holy place. Can enter the very presence of God. So there's some things we want to look at. First of all, is that we have a right to draw near. Have you ever heard the expression or used the expression, who do you think you are? You ever ever had that maybe used on you or you used it on somebody? And by that expression, it's kind of like, well, you have no right to do that. You're not in a position. You don't have, you, what do you, who do you think you are? And I love the words that are used here in the book of Hebrews. Because over and over, he uses the same words, confidence and boldly. He doesn't say that, you know, we have the right to kind of slither in the back door. It's not like, you know, maybe some of you in the old days, you know, I don't know when the circus was in town. I've heard of this, you know, maybe you didn't buy a ticket. So you slipped in under the tent or you hopped the fence to see a baseball game or something. I don't know. You know, and and it's not like that. The writer of Hebrews says we have the right with confidence and boldness to just walk in the front door. Let me ask you this. How many of you think you can just walk right into the Oval Office? How many of you think you can just, you know, take your car down to Washington, D.C., just park on Pennsylvania Avenue right in front of the White House and just, just, just open the gate, open the door, and walk right into the Oval Office? How many of you think you're going to do that alive? Remember a few years ago, there was a guy that did jump the fence and actually walked in the back door because it was unlocked. Who knew that the back door to the White House is unlocked? One of the shows, I mentioned this to my, our life group last time we met, but uh, there's a show called, used to be on called West Wing. And at the end of it, the last season of it, you know, uh, we have an election and a new president has been elected. And so now it's inauguration day and things are beginning to, to change. And so, so the old secretary for the president that's on his way out is talking to the new secretary of the president that's on his way in. And she's kind of giving her, you know, some, some ins and outs and things to do. And when I remember what she says to the, the old secretary says to the new secretary says, now, there are certain people who have walk-in privileges with the president. Who don't have to have an appointment, don't really even have to knock, that just can walk right in to the Oval Office. One of those is the chief of staff. And the other one is the president's wife, the first lady. And I remember the old secretary saying to the new secretary, saying, at some point in time, the president is going to ask, ask you, 
The president is going to ask you to revoke the walk-in privilege for his wife. She said, don't you dare do it. (laughs) You want no part of getting in the middle of that. You know, even people that are close to the president can't just walk right in. Again, I was mentioning to our life group, those of us that are of a certain age have seen it on the History Channel. Remember those pictures of John F. Kennedy in the Oval Office and John John and Caroline playing around the, the uh, what's it called, the desk, resolute desk there in the, in the Oval Office. And just the idea that, you know, these people, these little kids have such a relationship with the president. He's not the president of the United States, he's daddy. And they want to go play in daddy's office, they're going to go play in daddy's office. Well, now, because of the blood of Jesus, we have walk-in privileges with God our Father. We don't have to wait on a specific time of the year. We don't have to wait on some specific person. Because of the blood of Jesus that has been sprinkled on our hearts, it says. We can draw near to God. We also can do it because of the fact, he says, that we have been washed. And I believe that has to do with baptism. In the Old Testament, before the priest could go into the temple... Whether it was the regular priest that was going to go into the holy place or especially on the day of atonement, the high priest that was going to go in to the most holy place. There was a lot of ceremony that had to be taken care of. Animals had to be slaughtered. Blood had to be sprinkled on the horns of the altar and be sprinkled on the priest himself. And then there was the basin in which there had to be all these different washings over and over again before the priest could go in. Writer of Hebrews tells us that God has done that for us. Sprinkled on our hearts the blood of Jesus and washed us in water. At baptism we receive forgiveness. We receive the Holy Spirit. We are clothed with Christ. We have our sins washed away. We are reborn and raised to life and much more. At baptism we are cleansed and we have the right to draw near to God. Secondly, there is the privilege of drawing near to God. In James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, the writer James says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will lift you up. Now that sounds kind of negative, right? Change your joy to mourning. And, but that's the pre-washing. That's, the, that's beforehand. You who think you're so big. You who think you have it all. If you have not been washed by Jesus. If you have not been cleansed by his blood. You got nothing to be boasting about. You know, that's like go back to that picture of the temple and you got the temple and you got the courtyard and you got the women's courtyard and you got the Gentiles courtyard. And it's kind of like we talked about before. You know, the Jews would say to the Gentiles, oh, we're so much better off than you. We're so much greater than you. We're so much more privileged than you. Really? 
I mean, yeah, you're 15 steps closer. But you're still separated from God too. You're no better off than the Gentiles, really. You may think that you are. But in reality, you're not. In reality, God already drew near to us first through Jesus. He made the first step. He initiated the relationship. He repaired the relationship. But now we can approach the throne boldly. Foreign, both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. The Jews would have never thought about approaching boldly the presence of God. And the Gentiles were scared to death of their gods. They didn't want anything to do with their gods. Their gods were all about messing in their lives and kind of, you know, creating havoc among them. They didn't want anything to do with their gods. If you you had any kind of relationship with the Greek or Roman God, it was doomsday for you anything to do with them but now through jesus both gentile and jew alike can draw near to god we have that privilege we sing those songs what a friend we have in jesus nearer still nearer the idea of being able to go directly into the throne room of god with our needs and our and knowing that he cares and he listens what a great privilege we have but thirdly there is also a responsibility of drawing near to God drawing near to God means that we keep ourselves holy we are God's holy possessions he calls us to be holy he calls us to be sanctified he calls us out of the world for his purpose in the old testament i was reading around you know i was kind of getting into this a little bit and i was reading around about the priests and you know the sacrifices and all those kinds of things oh man there were a lot of rules about the priests what they could and couldn't do and and who could serve and who couldn't serve as a priest and all those kinds of things you know one of the things they had to do, the priests had to make sure that they kept themselves away from anything that was spiritually unclean. In other words, they could not be around, be in the same room as a dead body. Now, there were some exceptions for some close relatives, maybe. But just the idea that, you know, here we are in the same room. Somebody drops dead. I'm unclean. I can't do my job as a priest until I go through a whole bunch of other stuff. There were certain people who were unclean, like like lepers and other kinds of different things, who a priest could not even be around. So as not to defile themselves, so not to make themselves unclean before they approached the presence of God. And we may think to ourselves, does any of that apply to us? Yes. Yes, it does. You see, we are to be holy people. We are to be sanctified. Now, that does not mean that we take ourselves out of the world and we have nothing to do with the world around us. That's not what I'm saying. But we do not voluntarily allow ourselves to get involved in sin and temptation. That we do not become corrupted by the world around us. He's going to say in chapter 12, remember he's going to say, throw off, let us throw off the sin and temptation that so easily entangles us. Let's get rid of it. Let's purify our hearts. Keep ourselves clean so that we can draw near to 
James tells us to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Paul reminds us that we should not take for granted the grace that we have and keep on sinning. Drawing near to God also means helping others draw near as well. Drawing near to God means daily becoming more and more godlike in our actions, in our speech, and in our relationship with others. You see, we take, I think, for granted the privilege of drawing near to God. And what he is trying to express, the writer is trying to express to his readers, why? Why on earth would you want to go back to that which separated you from God? To that which so vividly illustrated the separation between man and God because of sin. Why would you go back to that? When because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we can draw near to God. Not just creep in and crawl in on our bellies. But walk in boldly with confidence because of the blood of Jesus. If you're here this morning and we can help or encourage you in any way, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.